Hello and welcome to the Evergreen Way podcast, where we explore how to be a healthy leader for the long haul. My name is Andy Needham and I have the privilege of serving on the team with Converge Northeast. We have an incredible conversation to bring you today with my friend, Justin Kendrick, who is the founding and lead pastor of Vox Church. They have locations in Connecticut and in Massachusetts. And Justin and I have been doing ministry sort of in parallel and at times together, but always with a common heartbeat uh, for honestly two decades. Uh, Both of us had a season of our lives where we were traveling around with different bands doing ministry, helping make much of the name of Jesus in the Northeast. And I'm so grateful that we've maintained our friendship and found new ways to continue to partner uh, today. And I can tell you right now, this conversation, one, it's going to encourage you. And two, it's going to make you want to join us October 13th and 14th in Hudson, Massachusetts, because Justin is keynoting our first session at the Advanced Conference. And that is going to be just an incredible time. Justin is a just a gift to the church. And he's also going to be leading a pre-conference on Friday the 13th there in Hudson, Massachusetts. And this is a really special time. You'll see today that uh, beyond being a great preacher, Justin is a great thinker, especially around the area of discipleship. And he's written a book about this. And we are creating a space where you'll be in a smaller room around round tables and able to interact around what discipleship looks like in the local church. And I think that this would be just a really timely and important thing for you to jump in on. So join us at the advanced conference and make sure you also register for that pre-conference. You can find out all the details at advanceyourchurch.com, advanceyourchurch.com. We've been working on this event for a few years, every year taking us a step forward to make it more effective, more helpful to local churches. We have a sort of an internal rule with our team at Converge that we only want to create events that we would want to go to. We really want to make these things that are just great gifts to the local church and to church leaders. And I am very confident that that is what you're going to find if you join us in October. Today, Justin and I, again, we talk about discipleship. We talk about some of his own spiritual disciplines. We talk a lot about uh, growth in the church and growth personally. And this was just a really, really wonderful conversation. I love talking to Justin and that's going to come through. So without any further ado, let's jump into my conversation with Pastor Justin Kendrick. It's my pleasure to welcome Justin Kendrick to the Evergreen Way podcast. Justin, thanks so much for jumping on today. Thank you for having me. Well, many New Englanders will know you and know Vox Church, uh, but for those who may not be fully acquainted, give a little snapshot maybe of what family life and ministry life looks like today. Yeah. So my wife and I, Chrissy, we are uh, coming up on 20 years married, chasing you guys down, <laughs> uh, but I don't know if we'll, we'll catch you. But uh, four kids, our oldest turns 17, actually in a couple of weeks. And then uh, we've got 14, nine, and four, three boys and a girl. Um, We started uh, Vox Church with just a small group of friends in 2011. And uh, so 12 years uh, this fall. And um, yeah, love New England, love the local church, Mm -hmm. and grateful to be a part of the incredible things that God is doing all across this region. It's exciting to see. I think I first met you at a Pizza Hut in Keene, New Hampshire, which that dates us a little bit. <laughs> that was a, at a Pizza Hut was still operating. But, um, you know, yeah. that was in an era of time when both of us, I mean, yeah. we share a common heart for New England that's always connected us. But we also have uh, had a season of our life where a lot of our ministry was through music. 
And uh, I know yeah. that you spoke as well during that time, but what was, what yep. were some of the things that caused you to pivot from a primarily itinerant ministry, having a huge impact, yep. seeing lots of God do lots of things to saying, you know, I'm just crazy enough to think that maybe we should start a local church. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's a great question, Andy. I, you know, for me, it was 2010, 2009, 2010. And I, I really was gripped by the, the lack of sustainable impact through our traveling ministry. You know, we were like giving ourselves to see people meet Christ and, and to make a difference. And we were making a difference, but frequently we'd come back to, you know, a place that we saw a bunch of people meet Jesus. And we'd see that many of them had walked away, that no one had really um, built a community or grown as disciples. And as the years went by, there's the frustration of just wanting to see spiritual renewal and awakening in the least church region of the United States in these six states of New England. And thinking, you know, for we could do hundreds of hundreds of hundreds of these youth rallies and college campus outreaches, and I don't feel like it's sustainable. I don't think it's really making a difference. And that was torturous for me. And, um, you know, I was not, I don't know your your story in this way, but I, I was not, I was not enthralled by the local church. You know, like the local church, I had honor for the church, but no desire to participate in the function of the local church. I just, I didn't see many churches transforming cities. And so I thought this is not what I want to give my life to. And um, I love Jesus. I love the mission of Jesus, but I don't really want to be in the local church. And and so I felt really prompted by the Holy Spirit in 2009 to spend about six months reading the book of Acts mm -hmm. and reading and rereading and praying. And, you know, it's so obvious to me now and to many people now, but for me, it was an epiphany. You know, it was like, wow, you know, God told us to start churches <laughs> like, you know, hello, you know, like how, how naive I was. But um, but that was the that was the overarching uh, conviction that came out of that, that I think we're supposed to. I think the church is God's is God's real plan to see transformation in a region. And so um, it took me another year and a half mm. to kind of come to a place of submission where I felt like the spirit of Jesus was just pressing on my wife and myself to start planting churches and um, to shift our focus. And that was a real, for us, a real death. We said we are going to most likely end up with a tiny little handful of 50 people and give our lives for New England and not see anything, but we'll do it, Jesus. We'll do it for you. And that's kind of the, you know, the level of faith we went in with. Mm. Um, and uh, yeah, God's been faithful to bless and to, to, uh, to walk with us. Um, but that was our, that was our journey to, to surrender to the local church. Yeah, That's a huge pivot. <laughs> I mean, one thing I've always loved about the story that you shared about that season though, is that you did not do this alone. You guys really, I mean, yeah literally anchored yourself into a neighborhood, into a community. Uh, talk about yeah. how that helped form the DNA of your church. Yeah, that was one of the big convictions that drove me, you know, to, to start churches is I really one day in prayer was just wrestling and, and, and I felt prompted by the Holy Spirit. I just felt this, this little moment where God whispered to my heart, Justin, you want to reach your region, but you don't know your neighbor's wow. names. And I knew I didn't. I lived in the city of New Haven. I owned a multifamily house and I didn't know my neighbor's names. And I thought something is broken here. And so um, Chrissy and I decided when we're going to plant a church, we're going to live in the city and root ourselves in the city. So we bought a second house. We, we rented out our first and we started a little community. Some of our friends that agreed to plant churches with us uh, joined us and we ended up having 13, 14 houses in a four block radius, downtown New Haven. Um, and, uh, 
and just watched as God used that little community. We called it the cul-de-sac because people were like, <laughs> what are you doing? You're starting a cult. And we were like, no, 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 we're not starting a cult. No one has to drink Kool-Aid. We're just, we want to, we want to actually live fully engaged in the community. And so, um, yeah, the first eight years of our church, we lived in that, uh, kind of dynamic, love your neighbor. We knew all our neighbors' names, mm. you know, and, um, and we still do. We're in a different neighborhood now, but, um, but that was a big shift for us to really plant ourselves in a community and then give people access, you know, access to us uh, in a way that was uncomfortable. Mm. You know, um, but that's what you see in the New Testament, right? They devoted themselves, the apostles teaching daily. They broke bread. They gathered in one another's homes. That that um, that is Christianity. And so um, we said, what do we need to do to sort of disrupt the American system and get back to something that is a little more available? Mm, that's you know? powerful. Now, um, obviously, a lot has transpired over the the from from this cul-de-sac to a, a multi-site yeah. church that's uh, you know starting new campuses yeah. even this fall. But are there yeah. some hinge moments that you can think of uh, where you either like came to a fork in the road of decision making, or maybe even had to like unlearn or recalibrate? Uh, can you think of like one or two moments like that along the journey yeah. of the church? Yeah, you know, for us, uh, multi-site was was a big shift. You know, we we <laughs> we were. Stupid. We planted our second church uh, about 14 months after we planted our first church. And and so we had a couple hundred people committed to the mission. And we said, let's go plant in Bridgeport, Connecticut, you know, and mm-hmm. and with no staff and no infrastructure. And um, <laughs> and, you know, that was that was a stupid thing. But but even in that, you know, I was not familiar at the time with the multi-site church movement all across the United yeah, States. Yeah. You know, I mean, I, I just started reading about it and and learning and saying, wow. And I, again, really felt impressed that we have a grace to do this. I think, I think this is a structure that God would have us lean into. And, um, and so that was a big pivot point for us. I remember, um, sitting down with my best friends and them saying, you know, one in particular, my friend Cheech, he said, Justin, no one will ever watch you preach a sermon on video. And, and I said to him, I said, no, Cheech, you don't understand. I really feel like the Lord's given us a grace for this. I think it's going to, you know, I think, I think God's in this and, and, um, and you know that was a, a real paradigm shifting thing mm. for us at the time, and uh, you know now it's much more common, and you know, um, and it has it has been one of the fruitful methods that that the Lord is breathing on right now, I think. But uh, that was a, a big pivot point. I think another one for us was probably four years ago, right before COVID, we had gotten um, we had seen growth numerically in a way that I think stretched us out of the intentionality around community. Mm -hmm. And about four years ago, um, just getting in front of our team and saying like, hey, we need to get back to just life on life, flesh and blood, dig deep roots, lead a small group, get people around your dinner table. Like, what are we doing, guys? If we're not doing that, then we're not doing the mission. And so that was a real reorienting about four years ago. And um, we've become much more intentional Mm -hmm. around that because as things expanded, uh, we started losing the plot, I think a little bit in the middle. Mm. And, uh, that was a big reshift for us too, um, as well. Yeah. Looking at the broader church, uh, from your seat, um, I know that you've, you've thought a lot about community and discipleship and, you know, spiritual formation and apprenticeship to Jesus. Those are things that are, you know, I think getting a good spotlight back in the Western church, at least from a philosophical standpoint, but, um, how do you kind of, as you look at the, the broader church or even your own experience in your context, what do you think are some of the lies or the challenges that we have to actually live as and make disciples? 
Mm, yeah, that's a great question. I think, you know, uh, I think when you think of spiritual formation or when you think of discipleship, I think that people generally uh, think of one thing instead of what I would suggest are three things, three elements. And so what I mean by that is people think, yeah, discipleship, spiritual formation, we need to teach people theology, right? We have to keep the life of the mind. We have to get people thinking about Jesus rightly, worldview and mm-hmm. and Bible teaching. And, and, and that's our discipleship model. Our discipleship model is Bible classes and, and Bible teaching. And awesome, praise the Lord. Uh, that's not discipleship. That's a piece of discipleship. Or they say, no, no, we got to get them out in the community. We got to get them serving the poor and loving their neighbor and investing in others. And, and again, I would say, okay, that's not discipleship. That's a piece of discipleship. Or we'd say, no, we just need to get them loving God more. We need to do worship and prayer and we need to fast and we need to, uh, you know, um, you know, do life together and, and, and knit our hearts together. And I would say, hey, that's a part of discipleship, but it's not the whole thing. And so for me, when I'm thinking about discipleship, and I, I, I think you could really uh, make a clear case for this across scripture, it's, uh, it's head, hands, and heart. All three of those elements need to be present and need to be intentional when you're talking about spiritual formation. What am I doing to serve in love? Uh, what am I learning to change how I think? And how am I cultivating a heart that really loves God? Mm. Because I can have, we all know it, right? I can be intellectually brilliant, but ice cold in my love, or I can be fervent in my love, but foolish in my theology, or I can be deep in my theology, but not actually act and serve the world. And so, you know, when I'm thinking about spiritual formation, uh, discipleship, I'm always thinking about those three pieces and how do they interact? How do they all engage? And how am I being intentional, head, hands, and hearts uh, to grow myself and then our church, the people of God? Yeah, I think that, that the beauty of that framework is if we think about that either as individuals or as churches, we probably have a bias or or a strength. Yes. Like we probably do one or two of those things that it's like, that is my wheelhouse or that's just naturally how I experience God. Yep. Um, and, you know, we can, it oftentimes, you know, just like our, our we'll, you know, we're always going to lean to our strong hand and not work on our weekend, right. you know? And so I think right. that that, you know, it, it's a good way to look at your church uh, through that context and just be like, okay, if we were to take all of our activities, all our energy, all our budget, how are we distributing that? And, you know, how are our bias, how is it kind of leaning towards that? And how could we, you know, bring it to a, um, a more of a balanced uh, type of element? I think it's just a really good, good context. Yeah, unto growth. That's huge, you know, right? Because th- what we don't realize is that we become malformed whenever we ignore one of those particular elements. And so uh, each one has its own implications, uh, but it becomes unhealthy quick. Mm. And a lot, of our, a lot of our dysfunction in the people of God in the church is because one or more of those is being ignored. Yeah. yeah. From, from a more practical standpoint, like leading your church, yeah. how do you balance? Uh, I think like you mentioned, there was a time we kind of recognized community was um, yeah. as we entered a new season, you know, we had new, new ways we had to reimagine and refocus on that. How do you, yeah. how do you balance like the DNA of a church, like the things that are going to be the truth of who you are as a leader, as a pastor, and those seasons where it's like, hey, God may be calling us to press in in prayer, or God may be calling us even, you know, not that you never do that, but it's a more yep. intentionality. I know you guys actually do program that way at Vox. And yep. so how do you kind of balance those two things of like, this will be true till Jesus gets back. And this is something that we really need to lean in and harder right now. 
Yeah. Yeah. For us, that's always a dance. One of the most important things we do is we zoom way out. So we, we, I don't, I believe in being led by the spirit of the moment and led by the spirit in our life, not just in the moment, you know? And so, and you know that, I mean, you've always, your ministry has always been marked by that as well. And I think that for me, you know, we plan out uh, 12 months, our, our calendar year, we're, we're finalizing 24 right now and we're fasting, we're praying. So what is the church learning and what are we teaching in November of 24? We have it pretty clear. And because we've been fasting, praying, asking the Lord, and we're always looking for a balanced diet. I mean, we're always looking head, hands, heart. We're looking that way. Another helpful frame we've used frequently is Richard Foster's streams. He talks about six streams in his book, um, Streams of Living Water, the six biblical streams. Uh, Another frame we use is Father, Son, Spirit, thinking about the doctrinal church, the attractional church, the charismatic church. How do those things come together? Mm. And, uh, And how do we really, you know, Father being the doctrinal church, Son being the the attractional church, spirit being the charismatic church. How do we really live in the center of those things? So we probably have four or five frames that we use. And and then we say, looking at the calendar year, where's our rhythm? Where What are we neglecting? And we go, oh my goodness, look, we're really neglecting the charismatic stream. We have such programming that we have no space mm-hmm. to just pray, to let the Lord move. Where are we going to put that in? Where are we going to put in revival nights? Where are we going to put in renewal nights? And so we, we drop those into our calendar. And then we go, wait a minute. Where are we really moving our church forward doctrinally? Where are we really teaching them to study the Bible and pray? How are we getting the gospel into every aspect of our year and really teaching people to think uh, centrally around the gospel? And so we sort of have a process, but my point in saying all that is to say, if you are not intentional, you know, I'm a lefty. I I play basketball, which means I go left. If I'm not intentional, I'm always going left, always going left, always going left. Right hand doesn't even touch the ball. Right. And so, like you said, if, if you don't zoom out, yes, the Lord can change the plan in the moment. I'm all for being spontaneous and being led by the spirit. But um, to really grow anything healthy, you have to have a wider perspective and be intentional. Mm, absolutely. No. You know, yeah. Good. I was, I was late for the podcast today, you know, and so I was running out the door <laughs> to get to my office and my wife made a really like. 90% lean turkey meal for me that I didn't have time to heat up. So I ate peanut butter and jelly, right? And this is what happens. If you don't, if you don't plan, then your diet suffers, right? And in the same way, like with the people of God, mm-hmm. if we don't plan, then the diet suffers and we just defer back or, you know, back to whatever our kind of our shtick is. And I think that hurts us. Yeah. I think that one of the gifts that um, God has placed on you as a New Englander who planted, planted a church. And I think is the, the, the powers, like when you have the ability to think that you're going to be pastoring this church for a long time, it gives you the permission to think and dream. And I, I was uh, talking to a pastor friend recently and we were talking about how often, you know, a pastor comes in maybe into an established church, they come in, they start to just start to move the DNA forward. And usually like you're four or five, all of a sudden they, they leave and go to the next and they never get to see the fruit of the labor that they're, that they're working on. And so there's a power, just want to commend the power in, in, in staying. And, um, you know, the, yeah, there has been obviously a, a, rise in the complexity just organizationally. Um, you know, we often yep. use the analogy of the trellis and the vine, you know, the trellis being yep. the infrastructure that supports the vine of the ministry. And, you know, as you've gone from one site to two sites and then increasingly, um, it, yep. obviously you have to have a bigger team. You have to have people yep. with specific skills that weren't really required when you started. Um, but how have you yep. fought 
against the temptation to just focus on competency and try to ensure that your team had the character, the heart for God mm-hmm. um, that would help Vox Church be around for another 50, 100 years. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. You know, that is such a good question. I think um, there's two sides to the to the coin, right? The one side is what you could call culture or heart, you know, and then the other side is is the, the actual organization, the system, you know, and I think some people think you have to choose one or the other. But I, I really think that there's a dance. There's a, you know, a really important dance and and organizations go through seasons. You know, one of the, the best um, explanations of that, I think there's a book called Predictable Success that walks through the, the different seasons of an organization. Yeah, it's brilliant. And it starts off with just you know, uh, early success, early adoption, everything's crazy. You never know if you're going to live and, and die. And and once you start to gain a little bit of traction, uh, you know, uh, Les McCowan says you then move into fun. And fun is just where everything's growing and everything's fruitful. But then after you hit fun for a while, things get bigger. And because they get bigger, he hits what, what you call whitewater. And whitewater is where, you know, like you don't have the systems to sustain the heart. And so now everybody's grumpy. There's too much going on, you know, and from Whitewater, if you can build the right systems, you get to predictable success. And that's where things are fruitful consistently. But um, we, as an organization, we've seen that evolution and he goes on, but, you know, we've seen that evolution. And what I've found is you do need organizational structure uh, for the sake of sustainability, health. I actually love the organizational structure side of the church. I don't think it's evil. I don't think it's unholy. You know, like Moses was an idiot and Jethro had to step in and be like, you are doing this all wrong. Like you got to have tens and hundreds and thousands. You got to systemize this thing for it to stay healthy. And so I do think that's an important part of the church. I think some pastors really struggle with that. They feel like, well, I'm, if I'm always working on the organization, I'm not, you know, I'm not being a pastor and to me, anything that has multiple layers and multiple people, you have to have healthy systems. And I think that's a holy thing. I think the Bible teaches those principles. But then from within those systems, as soon as you build the systems, there's the temptation to feel like it's the system that sustains us. And it's not. It's the heart that sustains us. And so we talk a lot about what we call human systems. Mm. And when we say human systems, we're talking about people who are culture carriers, who put me in any environment And I'm going to make the gospel first. I'm going to make community intentional and I'm going to be on mission. Those are like our three anchor values. And so it doesn't matter if I'm in Springfield, Massachusetts, or if I'm in the kids room in Brantford, wherever I am, uh, whether I'm doing outreach or I'm doing worship, those values, I'm a human system. Those values live in me. And then, and so that takes a lot of intentionality and Again, head, hands, heart to get it in me. I need to know the theology of it. I need to have it capture my affections and I need to actually go do it so that it becomes a part of me. So we have a whole kind of process within our leadership and our teams to try to get those values deep into the human system. Because then I know no matter where we go or what we do, uh, it's still us. Yeah. You know, um, but... Yeah, the temptation is to just give people the uniform, right, and just have them parrot parrot the uh, you know the five pillars yeah. of whatever, and the the hard work is the actual. Yeah, <laughs> you know, you you ref- I love I love the story of uh, Moses and Jethro because one of the things that um, first of all Jethro just observes him, then he asks him some yeah. questions, and then he gives him advice. Mm-hmm. But one of the things so that good. he says to um, to Moses is he says, you know, this thing that you're doing is not good. And the truth was that Moses, in many ways, was the best judge. So he was not mm. tell, telling him nope. not to do 
the thing that he was not good at. He was actually telling him that the good thing that you're doing is not the God thing that God has for you. And, uh, and that's, that's another thing I know I'm sure you've had to wrestle with because you have, you know, I'm sure music's just one of the many things, but there's competencies in you that are not for this season of your leadership. And what are some other examples in, in, in you of things that you enjoy or you excel at that you've had to say, that's just not part of who I need to be in this season. Oh, every year. Yeah. I can, <laughs> I'll list a few. Um, yeah. That's, I mean, to me, leadership is just the constant process of self death, right? Like <laughs> releasing things and, you know, delegating and elevating, mm -hmm. you know, just, I release and I let go just two years ago, I really released the leadership of the staff to our executive pastor, Mike. And, you know, he was already operating in a very, very high leadership level. But at this point, he really is the leader over the staff. And so at this, you know, that, that shifts my role significantly. And it's been a couple of years, maybe two and a half years now, um, where, you know, he creates the culture, the DNA, the, the calendar, the cadence of the staff. That was, that was a significant one in the last couple of years. Um, you know, releasing ministry philosophy around groups was a big one for me because that's been such mm. a central part of who I am. That was probably five years ago where I had to kind of release that. Um, before that, releasing worship, the writing of songs. Most of the songs we write now, I don't write. And uh, and it's because I just don't have the space, trying to find more space, but, you know, to, to be in the room mm -hmm. while they're writing and they're writing better songs. And so, you know, it's awesome. It's It's great to see, but it's funny, you know, as the organization grows, sometimes people from the outside credit me for things that I'm clueless about or blame me for things that I had nothing to do with. And it's just, right, it's the nature of any organization, but I had a guy stop me uh, a few months ago and just said, I'm so grateful for what you've done in Libya. And, and I was sitting there and I'm thinking, I have no idea <laughs> what we've done in Libya, right? Like, I don't know. I'm getting credit for something our missions team yeah. did that I am clueless about. And then it goes the other way just as often. I'm so upset about what you did in that outreach in Springfield. And I'm thinking, you don't know how decentralized we are. Like, I don't know what's going on. You know, like <laughs> you're giving me way too much credit. I don't know. They're, they're running, you know, they're doing their thing. And, and so, um, yeah, that's been a tension point for sure. And there's, there's, there's a joy in it and there's a, there's a sorrow in it yeah, releasing. Absolutely. How do you guys balance the, um, you just use the example of Springfield, you know, versus, um, yep. your, your, uh, New Haven area, Brantford. Um, yep. how do you guys balance the, you know, every church that is going to be multi-parish and multi-site, multi-church, um, is yep. going to be on a spectrum between alignment and contextualization. And it's always going to yep. live in that tension. And some churches choose yep. to bank one direction or another. Um, so yep. how, how have you guys kind of navigated? I'm sure it's changed over the years in some regards too, but how is, mm -hmm. how do you guys balance those two things? Yeah. So early on our attitude and you're absolutely right. That's a very insightful way of saying it. Uh, it is attention, right? Like, you know, attention to manage. It is not something you resolve. Um, I think early on we said, hey, we are going to disproportionately focus on urban centers because you find more people like-minded. So our philosophy of ministry, our strategy, it was, it was diverse. It was um, younger in its, in its approach. Uh, and that really worked in urban centers, you know, and so our urban churches still are, are very, very diverse, over half non-white. And and that's been great. And then um, a number of years ago, we were approached by a church in North Haven about really joining forces, North Haven, Connecticut. And and um, 
And so we launched our first really suburban location yeah. and it, and it thrived and people were getting saved. And we thought, wow, we thought we could only do this in cities, but it seems like the Lord's really given us a grace. And then since then we've launched a couple of suburban locations and they've done really, really well. Um, we would say that we're probably higher alignment than we are contextualization because we would say we're reaching uh, the New Englander yeah. who is themselves a unique bird, you know, and so uh, we'd say we can find those people anywhere, whether they're in cities or towns, but we definitely disproportionately look to be in population centers. You know, we're not going to the more rural parts of New England, and I don't know if we ever will, um, but uh, so we have, we've tried to say, Hey, if we can fly a little higher contextually and say, we're trying to reach a new Englander and think through our ministry in that way. Um, we haven't given our, our campuses a ton of flexibility when it comes to programming yep. outside of that, where they have really flexed is in their outreach. Yep. So we do a whole city mapping project process where they really try to figure out what is the language of our community and how do we serve that community? So outreaches we're doing in Clinton, Connecticut that launches this fall are very different than the outreaches we're doing in New Britain, Connecticut that's also launching this fall, right? Because they're just two very, very different communities. And so uh, we do contextualize that big time. Yeah, that's a great, no, and I've, I've observed that and it's uh, it's fun fun to watch on that. Um, I'm going to uh, tap in a little bit on, on preaching and teaching and, and so enjoyed mm -hmm. uh, sitting under your teaching at many times. If you were to counsel someone who is getting started, if, you know, let's say one of your younger staff came to you and said, Hey, over the next decade, yep. this is a gift I want to cultivate in me. Like, how mm -hmm. would you, what kind of counsel would you give them? Yeah. Oh, that's a great question. Uh, I think I would get them probably, I'd get them to read three books right away. Haddon Robinson's biblical preaching is sort of the anchor book gets you stop thinking uh, you know, about like, uh, what do I want a proof text and thinking, how do I actually exegete the scripture and, and submit myself mm. to God's word rather than, so that, that's a, that's kind of a, a paradigm shifting, get you out of high school, three points, get you into biblical preaching kind of thinking. And so that would be the first one. It's like a root canal. It's a short book, but it's just slow and painful. And, and then, and then I'd probably, balance that with Andy Stanley's communicating for a change, which is like the opposite of that. It's like very more about how to be a better communicator. And then I'd put um, Tim Keller's uh, preaching book on top of that. That That's a great book about um, Tony Evans also has a great preaching book. So I'd probably do those four mm -hmm. to get you, get you started. Um, would, you know, and we do this, we do this with a team of preachers at our church uh, to help grow them. And so, that would be the first thing. And then it's just reps, 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 get out there and make a mess of things and learn as you go. And so uh, we do a lot of accountability and feedback. So when anybody preaches, there's then feedback after the sermon for me, for everyone. And, and that has made me a much better preacher. I've been doing that for over a decade and, um, and it's really, really helpful. And so uh, whenever somebody preaches, um, they're going to have some type of an accountability partner, friend, or maybe a group. And that person is going to give them direct feedback. Hey, this illustration made no sense. This was great, but you didn't root it in the Bible, you know, like whatever it might be, there was no application, you know? And so, uh, we definitely lean towards inductive preaching. That's just my style, how I like to approach a sermon. So I generally teach that and, and encourage people to do that. Uh, and then we're, we try to be really high application, but everything is always orbiting around the gospel. And so if it doesn't land on Jesus, 
uh, you're not preaching here. And, and that's just, that's, we have found that especially with law driven, religiously rooted former Catholics in New England, you have got to get people thinking gospel and grace. And that is the, the, the secret to transformation. And so every sermon is, is heading and pointing towards Jesus. We telegraph that, uh, and we force, we force our preachers in that direction. Mm. Yeah, that's great. I love the diversity of voices there and, and the, but the center point, it's, it's a, a powerful thing. And, you know, reps is the other, like, again, if you can't preach to a room of five people <laughs> in a, yeah. in a room with yeah. terrible lighting and, you know, yeah. you know, that's, that's part of the journey. And we've, we've both done, we've both done our share of that. Yeah, you and I, we cheated. <laughs> yeah. We cheated because we were just idiots in our twenties getting reps, you know what I mean? Just, and people suffering through terrible sermons, you know, uh, in my case, you know, I was preaching, you know, heresy half the time it was, you know, I was definitely loving Jesus, but it wasn't very, uh, wasn't very sound. Yeah. And so, yeah. Until you've done you a, a Jesus fast on a gazebo with like your mom and a couple friends with <laughs> hot dogs, you haven't preached in New England yet. So <laughs> that's right. And I've done about a thousand of those as of you. I think I did more of those than you did though. You guys, you guys had better, better gigs. Than we did. I don't know. Maybe I had a better, uh, better guy booking me. I'm not sure. But, uh, uh, anyway, um, let's talk. Yeah, we could actually sing. That was the difference. No, I don't know about that. No, it's good. Good stuff. Those are good years. Um, Let's talk about on the personal side, because I um, I was in a room uh, with you. You were leading a group of pastors down at your church, um, I think it was about a year ago, and you were talking about uh, just some of the things that uh, God has been teaching you uh, for your own, the health yeah. of your soul. And you talked about what you call routines of the soul. Um, you know, so yes. other people call those rules, rule of life, personal disciplines. Uh, yep. Again, I feel like for me, this was the hard and good lesson of my 30s was <laughs> deconstructing, yep. reconstructing these things. Uh, but you yep. give me some examples of, well, first of all, how you kind of came to develop this and then maybe some examples yeah. of what that is. Yeah. So for me, you know, some, so early on in my spiritual journey, I came across um, some teaching by uh, Jonathan Edwards about the essence of Christian maturity. And uh, he goes on about the idea that, and this is not that revolutionary. It was for me. But that Christian maturity can be boiled down to growth in agape love. That when when we grow in love towards God and others, we are mature. So maturity is not, you know, Bible knowledge. Maturity is not, uh, you know, acts of great service. All of that is connected. At the end of the day, maturity is love. And so if I love God, if I love my neighbor, then I'll do acts of service. Then I'll have Bible knowledge. And so, um, and so growing in agape to me became a frame for personal growth and for uh, life with the Lord. And so then I started asking, okay, what are, what are, um, love forming habits that will shape and grow my love for God? What will shape my heart in such a way that enables me to love him more? And, uh, in my college years, I lived with a bunch of guys that were new believers and I, I literally just started experimenting with habits and, and just which habits really helped. And none of them are, unique to me by any means. None of them are even, you know, unique to our generation. They've been around forever. But, uh, but for me, you know, I really settled on seven specific habits and, and not just those habits, but even the cadence of what to emphasize. And I found that over the course of about um, 20 years now, we're getting old, but about 20 years of doing it with guys in my college dorm room and then leading uh, uh, people one-on-one uh, -on -one through friendships and relationships, and then starting a church and making this our curriculum for our elders path, uh, 
and watching in each iteration this really getting traction, really helping people form their heart in such a way that they love the Lord. And so I've shared these many times, but very, very simple. You know, it starts with spending time with God every day. You know, we really focus on an hour in the morning, every morning, and not legalistically, not to earn points with God, but as a way to set the temperature of my day and focus my heart. And so we always say, spend the first hour of your day alone with God, share your faith every week, follow the daily promptings of the Holy Spirit. I call those centering habits. If I learn to follow the promptings of the Spirit, if I share my faith on a regular basis, and if I spend an hour with God every day, my heart comes alive. I'm centered. Then from there, uh, commit and submit to God's laws around my sexuality and uh, practice priority percentage progressive giving. So I get it, my, my money and sex. Sex and money, they're the two things. I call these guardrail habits because they are the things that run us off the rails more than anything else. And so um, cultivating through accountability and through a life of discipline and through a work of grace. It's always grace. It's not works driven. I'm not progressing in these things through human effort. I'm progressing in them through a deeper revelation of Jesus and the gospel. Mm. And, uh, and that's where my strength comes from. So it's a, a strength from God. I'm not earning points with him. And then from there, um, you know, what I call long haul habits, which is the practice of a weekly Sabbath and the personal commitment and discipline to help others grow in those six habits. And so you're not really growing in love and in maturity until you're giving it away. And, uh, and so that process has been something for me that is always active and at the forefront of my spiritual growth. And then I'm always walking with other guys, uh, in that as well. Mm. Yeah, I so appreciate that. And uh, another thing that, um, as Bethy and I have watched your, your marriage and we kind of echo a similar thing is just some of the cadence, um, getting away without your kids and some of those other things that, yeah. that you guys have done. Well, I think sometimes pastors yep. struggle. I mean, there are times, you know, depending on where we are in ministry, I know getting away without my kids 15 years ago looked a lot more like trying to find yeah. a friend in my church who might have a Cape house I could use in like February. But, uh, <laughs> but those, yep. those things are also um, yeah. just really, really critical for the long haul. And uh, we used to totally. have our kids uh, get angry at us that we would go away without them. And I just told them, I love your mom more than you. Yeah. <laughs> so committed to that. We've done that our whole married life. And uh, yeah, we're like, Hey, you're going to leave yeah. and we're not going to leave in Jesus name. So uh, yeah, that's, that's been huge for us. And we're, we're committed to that. We go away every winter. Uh, we go away for a month every summer. Um, but just us every winter and, you know, um, get out of Connecticut, get out of the cold and just be together for a week. And, and then, and then we try to do our, our, our goal is always to act, do an overnight once a month. It ends up being maybe eight times a year on top of the other things. And that's a real gift for us. That's a really, um, an essential part of staying healthy mm. in ministry. Yeah. I'd encourage people who listen to this, depending on where you are. I mean, like I said before, like we've had different seasons of you know the stage of your kids, where you are in your you know career, so to speak, quote unquote, yep. will dictate those things. But um, you, you have to start somewhere. You know, for us, it was 10 years in a marriage where we really started to like really key, mm -hmm. key those things in. And we went away for a week somewhere warm. And my wife said, this is the first time I've seen you relax in our marriage. Uh, so, <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. so we said, okay, I think we're yeah. onto something here. Uh, so that's, that's, that's an awesome thing. Good. So that, that is good. That's great. Well, Justin, this has been awesome. Um, I want to encourage uh, anyone who's listening. A lot of these ideas you have, um, bless the church with putting into book form. And so there's uh, two yep. books that you've published with uh, David C. Cook, Barrier Ordinary, The Sacred Us I'm on my desk here 
today. Thanks for awesome. thanks for that gift. And um, where else could people connect? I know they could find and listen to your teaching at Vox Churches or anywhere else that people can connect uh, to what you're doing. Yeah, foxchurch.org kind of connects them to everything. Both of the books have have websites. They're super easy to find if you type the title of the book in. The website will pop right up. There's small group materials attached to both that are free um, that hopefully are helpful. And uh, yeah, just, you know, our church, especially in New England, but anywhere in America, but especially New England, we are just so hungry and eager to encourage, bless, strengthen other churches and give away anything we've learned. We're in process. We're learning from other churches every week. And so any way we can be a blessing to other pastors, other leaders, other churches, we want to be. Yeah, there's a lot of resources. I mean, you can reach out, obviously, to Justin's team, but or reach out to me. I mean, a lot of your other materials, even some of the way your discipleship curriculum, how you guys start yep. campuses. I know all those things you guys have been super yep. generous to give away. And mm-hmm. I just so appreciate that. And we're excited to, you know, one way you're going to invest in the local church coming up here in October, October 13th and 14th yeah. to be with us in Hudson, Mass. Thanks for being a part of uh, our advanced conference. We've been really working hard to make that a gift to the region and so grateful. I know you're going to kick off our day on Friday with a, talking about discipleship, yeah. basically having a deeper conversation around tables about what we are now and then open our first session. So thanks so much for saying yes to that and looking forward to doing ministry together. Yeah, it's a privilege. I'm excited to be a part of it. So grateful for what you're doing. It's yeah. awesome. Justin, thanks for the time. Always a gift to be together. Love you, Andy. Good to see you. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of the Evergreen Way podcast. On behalf of our entire team at Converge Northeast, it is a privilege to bring you these conversations to help you be a healthy leader for the long haul. We would love to connect with you. Find us on Instagram at Converge Northeast and send us a message. That's an easy way to connect with us. Or you can send me an email directly, Andy at ConvergeNortheast.org. We'd love to know what you think of the podcast ideas you might have, or even suggestions for potential guests in the future. Please remember to follow this podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And if you would, do us the favor, leave us a review. Let us know what you think and help other people discover this resource. Until next time, this is Andy Needham with Converge Northeast. Thanks so much for tuning in.